Hey ladies, welcome to Yes and Amen, where we talk about growing in our faith with biblical truths, real life testimonies, and meditating on God's word. Now I'm your host, Priscilla's Pearl Dominguez. Let's get it. All right, ladies, welcome back to the Yes and Amen podcast. Today, we have someone really special, Kat Harris in the house. I'm so, so, so excited. Um, if y'all don't know her, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but <laughs> um, we have her here today. We're talking all things sex, boundaries, dating, relationships, um, and the church and what that looks like um, within you know, the body of Christ and, um, and just living in the world. Uh, so welcome, welcome, Kat. Oh my goodness. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. So grateful to be chatting with you. And let's talk about sex, baby. Hey. Let's talk about <laughs> you and me. Let <laughs> me start it. I love it. Uh, well, thank you, girl. Let me, I'm going to share a little bit about um, Kat and then we're going to get into this conversation. So Kat mm-hmm. is the host of the Refined Collective podcast. So we have another podcaster in the house uh, and the co-founder of the online publication, The Refined Woman. Her first book, Sexless in the City. Yeah, yo, that title is just gold. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. It hits bookstores next month. Also, that means online bookstores, y'all. Don't play. She has also been a full-time photographer for the last decade with her work featured in Vanity Fair, GQ, Forbes, People, Who, What, Where, Us Weekly, Glamour UK, and more. She coaches and equips women all over the world in dating relationships, singleness, sexuality, faith, and how to build a renewed and healthy biblical sexual ethic rooted in freedom. Amen. Truth and grace, as opposed to the also common shame and fear narratives so many experience growing up in evangelical culture. Cat loves God, personal development, a good Beyonce dance party, and is a ranch dressing connoisseur. She believes in the power of story. That done is better than perfect. Quality triumphs quantity and that the journey truly is the destination. Ultimately, her vision is for women who know their beauty, identity, worth, and value, and to experience untapped freedom and joy in their lives, regardless of their relationship status. Amen, girl. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, girl. I'm so excited for this conversation. We've had a few episodes on this podcast around different things around like purity culture and mm. um, marriage and sex and things like that. But I'm excited to really hear your voice in this and um, how you connect, you know, all these thoughts to your walk and to Christianity, mm. because um, you particularly, you know, your hope uh, platform talks a lot about all of these different things. Um, and I think it's just going to be, yeah, a blessing to talk about and to really go into. So let's get started. Um, first, we're going to talk about sex, right? <laughs> um, culture, you know, what culture talks a lot about it. It says that we are our desire. And then the other part is the church says, shut it down until your wedding day, right? But what does Jesus say, right? As Christians, yeah. we shouldn't be focused on what anyone else is saying, yes, there are truths out there and encouragement and, and, and helpful tools, but what does Jesus say about this? So what do you, what do you think? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have so many thoughts. I have so many feelings, (laughs) all the things. Okay. Here's, here's what I think is so important to acknowledge is that with Jesus, Jesus is the King of the third option. Culture says I am the sum of my urges. So if it feels good, do it, live your truth, whatever's good for you, you do. We 
are taught culturally that we are entitled to instant gratification. I want what I want when I want it. And I want it like yesterday, piping hot and God forbid the Uber Eats gets my order wrong because I will be the entitled millennial. So we have this narrative and culture of instant gratification and entitlement. And basically it says, if you, if it, it just scratch it, if you're hungry, feed it. And that we see that everywhere, right? We see it with how we want our takeout food, but we also see it with how we interact in relationships, hookup culture, one night stands. And we also see it with how we want to develop our businesses. I don't want the long-term plan. Teach me in three easy steps, how to double my Instagram following overnight. Give me 10 steps to meeting my husband. Give me the five hacks to getting out of debt. We just thrive off those hacks and those quick fixes because we want what we want when we want it. And I think it's important to identify that because often as Christians, we think we are so much better than culture. We are so countercultural. And I'm like, no, no, we're not. First of all, we, we have slid into the cultural narrative in so many ways. What does that look? How do we show up in as Christians with that instant gratification mentality? We show up wanting to know on the first date, if he's my husband, because I don't want to waste my time because some, there's some aspect that we've internalized that getting to know another human that God really loves could be a waste of our times. Because if they don't, essentially, if he isn't the object that's going to fulfill my need, my want, my desire, then I don't want to waste my time. So that's the cultural message. And then the church says, like you said, shut it down. Don't, I, I always liken it to the, the scene in Mean Girls, the movie where the coach is teaching the sex ed class. And he says, don't talk about sex. Don't think about sex. Don't think about thinking about having sex. If you have sex, you will get chlamydia and die. I'm like, oh, that's the purity culture. <laughs> that is what the purity movement was like. And we're taught to be compartmentalized beings. We're taught that our sexuality can only be expressed through orgasm and sex. And so if we are quote unquote, good Christians, we're not having sex outside of marriage. And so then all of a sudden, like we're watching the movie, Lord of the Rings, this magical ring slides down our finger and all the shame, all the disassociation with our bodies, all of the shutdownness flips a switch instantly. And we're supposed to go from being asexual robots to a lady in the street, but a freak in the bed. And that hasn't worked for us. It hasn't worked for us. The back door to the church becomes wider and wider and more and more people are disillusioned and discouraged and tired of being shamed into conformity. And so they're leaving the church. And part of me is like, I don't blame you. When we have reduced a relationship with Jesus down to what you do or do not do between your legs, and you can only have a seat at the table if you're not having sex outside of marriage, we have reduced the gospel to a workspace salvation. And that is anti-gospel. That is not good news. So what is the way of Jesus? That was a really long explanation to answer your question. So what is the way of Jesus? We hear constantly in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you may have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus was constantly acknowledging the cultural and societal norms and the religious 
norms and saying there's another way. So what is the way of Jesus? I think for me, it starts all the way back in the book of Genesis, the beginning of the God story. We see God exhale creation into existence. We see when God saw nothing and void and chaos, instead of hopelessness and despair, God saw grounds ripe for creating new life. And then God makes all of the universe and says, it's all good. And then he gets to hello, the climax of creation, the creation of humans and does something distinct. God says, humans are made in my image. It's the Latin phrase, amago Dei. And humans reflect me. So every human, regardless of what you do or do not believe, what, regardless of what you do or do not do, you have the God image, the divine spark, the God reflection running through your veins, period, the end. I exist, I matter, I have worth, and I am very good because that's what God said. Everything else in creation is good, but humans are very good. I think often we start the God story at chapter three with the fall of humanity, but the the book starts in chapter one where God creates. God doesn't create bad things. Now, does that mean that uh, things like in the new Testament, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And you know, everyone needs Jesus. No, that's, I'm not dismissing that. I'm just saying, let's start the God story and God doesn't make bad things. So that means God created humans holistically, as opposed to the compartmentalized vision that has been cast by the church to say, shut it down until this one day. So God doesn't say in Genesis one, that my body is bad, but my spirit is good. And often that is the Christian response to sexuality. Well, the body is bad. That's not Christian theology. That's Gnostic dualism. That is not Christian theology. If you have been taught that your spiritual life is more important than your physical life, that's not a Bible theology. Like you need to hear that. So what does that mean? That means God created us holistically. That doesn't mean that I am like culture says and am the sum of my urges because culture then has said that my sexuality is my identity. And the church says to shut it all down. But the God story is that I am a child of God. That's who I am. And that means that my body is a part of that and can be a reflection of the divine. That means my sexual desire is a part of that and can be a reflection of the God design. So first and foremost, Jesus says that my body is good. In the New Testament, we see that again when when Paul, I believe, says that our bodies are a house for the holy. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't reside in bad things. God resides in houses for the holy. So our bodies are temples. Our sexual desire is a part of what it means to be human. So whereas sex is taboo and told not to be talked about in the church, God comes out of the gate and by chapter two of the Bible is talking about sex. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to foreplay and sex, the Song of Songs. And so what's the Jesus way? The Jesus way is a holistic approach to our bodies and our identity being rooted in God and our worth and value being rooted from the inside out. And then our sexuality being a part of that experience. So that means if we are holistic beings, that means that our sexuality 
is a part of the human experience. And it has to also mean that it's bigger than just being expressed through the physical act of sex, which for single people who are waiting until marriage to have sex, this is really, really good news. (laughs) I'll stop there. (laughs) Amen, girl, that was all the things, all the things that really just blessed me because a lot of what you were saying reminded me of the Roman scripture where it says that we should not conform to the patterns of this world. And the thing is, I think it's also realizing that that applies to the church, the patterns mm. of the church, right? Come on. And we sometimes like, oh, I'm, I'm not of the world. I'm not doing the world things. But like, what is your pastor? What is your church teaching you? Do you need to renew your mind of even those teachings Come on. and those things, right? Um, and again, going back to what God says and doing the same thing that you were just saying, reading the word of God, not by like, I'm going to start in Genesis three, right? Or I'm going to just read, uh, we all fall short, right? Like, but combine all of your biblical understanding with encouragement and truths that um, go with one another and really speak to the identity that we have as people. Uh, mm-hmm. Because that that really is what is also going to help us because, you know, we talk about these different things and it's like realizing what is going to help us though do this. And mm-hmm. it is the word of God, it is knowing the word of God truthfully and like you said, holistically. Um, and it's act- acknowledging that in that we get to set boundaries. Right. So I think of um, the examples that you're giving instant gratification. I remember the other day I was like, my husband's like, we're never going to eat Uber Eats again. You know, they're like, they suck sometimes and they deliver. I'm just like, you're being a real millennial, like (laughs) that serious, you know, but I think of like, just, you know, our instant gratification of just everything. Right. Um, And then I, that even like kind of hinders us from actually like creating boundaries and knowing what boundaries look like in our life as a whole. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we should have boundaries when it comes to like our mental health and work hours and all this stuff but also relationships, right? Also boundaries of what we hear and listen that the church is teaching and saying and what the Bible says, right? Mm -hmm. Like boundaries as a whole. And so, yeah, I would love to talk more about that, what it looks like um, and like what you have experienced uh, in thinking about physical boundaries and dating and and falling into legalism um, without driven, without being driven by fear and shame. I know Mm -hmm. for me, I actually um, was never really like a Christian who dated, because, um, so I grew up in the church, then I left the church. And when I actually came back was because I was dating my, my now husband who like him and all my friends kept asking me to go to church. <laughs> and I said, no, for a long time. And then I finally said yes and came back to Jesus. Um, but I'd actually never dated or was single being Christian. So mm-hmm. I know how to set physical uh, boundaries in marriage, but I don't know what it looks like outside of marriage really. Um, So, and I have a lot of single friends and sometimes I'm like, y'all, I'm gonna pray for you. I don't know what to say. (laughs) So I would love to hear what your, you know, what your experiences are and what you share about when it comes to physical boundaries and the legalism of, you know, the church and um, even what the Bible says and, you know, being not being driven from fear and shame. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, here, here's what I think about that. Well, first I'm gonna say this boundaries for everyone are different. So I might be able to have three glasses of wine, like three. I know three is my limit. If I have more than three glasses of wine, first of all, I'm not going to be like blackout drunk, but I'm going to be feeling tipsy. And then I'm 35. I'm definitely going to have a big old hangover from that. Um, But for you, that might be one glass of wine for a 300 pound man, he might be able to have two bottles (laughs) and stay completely grounded, not drunk, not tipsy or any of that. And so 
I think in every other area of our lives, we have space for people having different boundaries and in in the grayness of that. So I might need, I'm like a teenager. I could literally sleep 10 or 12 hours a night, every night. In fact, it's the number one thing that scares me about parenthood. I mean, I'm like, yeah, a baby can come out of my vagina. Like I can imagine that. I cannot imagine not sleeping for 18 years. Like that really scares me. But I have another friend who sleeps five hours a night and she's, she's in her fifties and she's done it for decades. And that's the amount of sleep she needs. All that to say, I'm not like you're wrong because you aren't sleeping 10 hours a night. And she's not like, you're wrong. What's wrong with you? Are you a toddler that needs 12 hours a day? And I'm like, yes, I am. I am actually a toddler. So the boundary conversation slips into legalism a, when we have a prescription for all people at all time. And that happens in the church constantly. Oh my gosh. Can I touch his butt? Can he touch my boobs? What about sleepovers? You know, is oral sex sex? What about anal? As long can as we the travel pee... together. Oh my God. Yeah. All yeah. Can we travel together? You know, it, as long as the P doesn't go into the V then I'm good. Right. So we, we slide into legalism. The first moment we ask, you tell me what I can and can't do. Why are you asking me? (laughs) First of all, why are you asking me? Why don't you seek God? And God, you are, you are a sheep. He is the shepherd and you hear his voice. Where is your conviction? And not from a place of, let me have a hall pass because I can do what first Corinthians 10, 23 says. Everything's been permissible, but not everything is beneficial. It is beneficial for me to have oral sex. Okay. Helps me sleep better. So I'm not saying that I'm just saying, what is it for you to seek God in your physical boundaries? And, and what is it for us to have space for other people to land on different parts of that spectrum? I have a friend who is not having her first kiss until her wedding day. Jesus, take the wheel. That is not my story, nor do I want it to be my story, nor do I feel convicted from God that that is the invitation for me, but I know her well, I've walked with her for years and I know to her core, that is just a decision made from freedom. So I honor that. I also have friends. I have pastor friends that when they were dating had sleepovers all the time with their significant others, and they were able to uphold their physical boundaries and continue to abstain until marriage. Now that doesn't work for me (laughs) because guess what? I can't keep my pants on when I'm having those sleepovers. So all that to say is how do you identify physical boundaries? You get curious. A lot of it can be, a lot of it is trial by error. And also I think we're starting at the wrong part of the conversation when the first question is how far can I go? Because I think what that is teaching is to start with the what. Simon Sinek is uh, this huge business guru and, and one of the most watched Ted talks of all time, he talks about how great leaders inspire action. And he says, every company knows what they do. Some know how to do it. Well, very few know why they do it. It's the companies and leaders that start with the why that transform their industries that have the most loyal employees that stand the test of time. And Cynic says, Martin Luther King didn't say, I have a plan. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. And that made all the difference. And so before we talk about the what of your physical boundaries, 
why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you choosing not to have sex until marriage? Or why are you choosing to have sex before marriage? Why, what is propelling you forward? What is it that you really want? Are you looking for something casual? Are you looking for a hookup? Are you someone who's never dated before? And you're like, cat, I just want to know how to go on a date and feel comfortable talking with someone that I'm attracted to. Okay. So you're going to probably show up in dating differently than the point that I am at. I'm at a point where I'm ready to get married. I'm ready to have children and I'm looking for a committed relationship that leads to marriage. So I'm going to show up differently that. So before we say the, what, what's your, why, what are your beliefs about sex? What are your beliefs about intimacy? What do you believe the God invitation is? And just so you know, if the only reason you're not having sex is because quote unquote, the Bible tells you so that's not enough of a reason. It's not enough of a reason. It's not going to keep your pants on in the middle of the night. I know that because it didn't work for me. It works until it doesn't work. An external rule without vision and heart only takes you so far. So before we ask the question, what can or can't I do physically? That question alone reveals to me a deeper symptom that you are already being driven by fear and legalism because you're looking outside of yourself to being told what you can and can't do which means you want a rule. You don't want vision. So how do we get vision then in our sexual encounters? Yeah. And I think, and that goes to our faith as a whole, Mm. right? Like when we think about, um, I think sometimes we, we look at Christianity as a, as rules or the Bible as a rule book. Um, and, and we, and, and often we'll experience condemnation. Jesus himself says he doesn't condemn anyone, but we'll experience it ourselves because of fear and not, not the fear that says in the Bible, like fear the Lord, right? Reverence, but an actual fear that brings us to shame and guilt and, and not even moving to repentance. Like, Mm. I don't think, you know, I can move towards repentance with like that kind of, you know, demeanor or spirit. So it's really realizing um, that we get to do it for this like way, like I want to honor God. I want to honor myself. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the kind of life I want to live. This is the kind of person I want to be. Um, and like you you were saying, or just like really knowing ourselves, um, I think sometimes the the trap is that, oh, the, the, t- the teachers or the church has said, don't do this, don't do that. Mm-hmm. So then you don't end up, you know, having sex by mistake or doing whatever, you know, or like even like, let's say, or getting drunk by mistake, all this stuff. Um, and it's like, but that's, does that apply to me in my specific situation? Does that apply mm-hmm. to me and my boundaries and how I can control myself or I don't or how I'm disciplined or I'm not? Um, yeah. So it actually is more about like knowing yourself yeah. <laughs> and actually going through the process of building your identity. So the only person actually really guiding you is the Holy Spirit versus like all of these other thoughts and all of these other um, ideas. Uh, I really loved your example of like, you know, the wine. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. just such a perfect example that applies to so many circumstances um, when it comes to boundaries. Um, Yeah. And, and think about it too. Think about when you're in a situation, what's more helpful? Like, is it more, so let's say that So for example, when I was going through this whole journey, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about sex? I 
dated a guy who wasn't a Christian. And it was the first time in my Christian walk that I had ever dated someone that wasn't a Christian. So I already felt a level of shame around that because I felt like, oh my gosh, this is wrong. I quote unquote, shouldn't be dating someone that's not a Christian. And it was really confusing because he treated me better than any Christian guy that I had dated in years. He pursued me. He honored me. He honored my boundaries. I was a freaking hot mess about it. My friends that came to me and said, don't date this guy, break up with him. You know, the rule that was not helpful at all. And outside of that situation, that's how I used to respond to my friends when they either were having sex or getting drunk or, well, just don't get drunk. It's wrong. It's simple. Don't do it. Well, do you think if it was that easy, I would be doing it. (laughs) It was my friends and my mentors that walked alongside me without judgment and without agenda and were curious with me. Okay, let's talk about this. You know, let's, let's seek God together. Let's, let's be curious about this relationship that you're developing. And, and that is what transformed me. Love is what transformed me, not people who condemned me with a bunch of rules. And it was love that propelled me on a journey to figure out what I believed, to develop my why, to connect with my own God vision for sex. And the big cosmic joke was on me because I ended that journey more conservative than when I started. I thought, oh, I'm going to go on this journey and be very comfortable being a Christian, having all that having all the premarital sex and really what I found outside of a a black and white set of rules and formulas was a beautiful God story that I felt like, why aren't we talking about this? (laughs) Why have we made this about do's and don'ts instead of telling people about a beautiful God vision for relationships and intimacy? I feel like we've, we've, we've blown it. Yeah. We've made it about behavior modification instead of heart. Yeah. And I think that's where discipleship comes in, right? Like that's like a word that is not maybe used that much, but like, Mm -hmm. that's where that's, that's how discipleship is as simple as relationship, right? Relationship and including the word of God in that relationship and and accountability in a loving way and not condemning way um, and being willing to be in that kind of relationship. Right. But that's, Mm -hmm. that is really what Um, we need that's what brought me back to Jesus you know Mm. my friends not like telling me all the things that I'm doing wrong and I'm going to hell and all this stuff but just continuing to invite me and engage in conversation Mm. with me about um, God and that's literally what brought me back you know they were persistent I said no a lot and I was like very you know pushed it away but um, that's just another way you know that we get to minister to other people um, really by being present in that way amen And can I ask you a question? I know this isn't my podcast and I'm going to start podcasting you, Um, but I'm so curious. So you said at the time you started dating your husband, it sounds like he was walking with God and you were not. Yes. Okay. So I feel like that is like the biggest no-no in the church, right? Like, oh my gosh, don't be unequally yoked. Uh That's been something that I've been thinking about so much because I'm single Ultimately, I do want to be with a guy that loves Jesus. And also we don't know what God's going to do. Yes. Like, so what I'm curious about is what was that dynamic like with you guys? Did, did he feel quote unquote guilty for dating you? Like, was he trying to quote unquote save you or change you? What was that like? 
Yeah, I actually asked him this before because I'm just like, you know, I'm like curious. Um, so I think it's a little different just because I grew up in the church. So I have understanding of mm -hmm. like what he believed and why he believed it. Um, but I was just completely like against it and thought it was not real um, mm -hmm. at that point in my life. And so it was it was it was an interesting dynamic. Like we were friends for a long time. We had also known each other for a long time. I think we're just a very unique situation. Um, but we had known each other for a long time and we were just, um, you know, we were in the relationship, we would communicate, we were having sex. So it didn't seem maybe like that was something that was a boundary for him because we were doing it. Um, and, you know, he would invite me to church though on Sundays, right? He would go and I wouldn't go. Um, and we wouldn't necessarily talk a lot about his faith or, or the faith in general, unless it just came up. Um, but I asked him now and he's just like, I just like the Lord told me that you were going to like come back to him um mm. and I was like oh wow what a blessing <laughs> so that's why he like mm. you know he he did remain um that maybe he saw you know also that I was surrounded by friends who were following Jesus so it's like how could I not end up back um mm. in in um in the arms of Jesus um and so and this was before we actually got engaged so I also maybe like maybe if we it didn't happen. Maybe if I didn't give my life to Jesus, maybe we wouldn't have gotten engaged. Mm. Uh, maybe he wouldn't have decided to take that step. But, mm. I, you know, so I think that is uh, interesting how that happened. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was in, it was like it was a very uh, kind of journey of just like when I look back now, I'm like, if I was, you know, Christian, would I have dated someone who's like not just not Christian, but also thinks what I think is BS? Because that's what yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, so honestly, I probably wouldn't have. So he took a bold step. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just think that what's so interesting about that is even, even as a leader, it's become harder and harder for me to tell people who they should and shouldn't date. Yeah. Because again, ultimately, so when I fell in love with a guy that wasn't a Christian, um, I had always thought my whole life that, or not my whole, my whole Christian life, that if I ever fell in love with a guy that wasn't a Christian, it was, I was always given that metaphor at youth group. I'm going to be standing on this chair and he's going to be pulling me down, pulling me away from my faith. And he didn't, he didn't pull me away from my faith. I remember one distinct moment I was traveling to LA to lead a workshop on sexuality. It was my first one all those years ago. I had no idea this was going to become my thing. Um, but I just got a bunch of my girlfriends together, married, single, everywhere, older, younger. And I was like, what did you learn growing up about sex? So all of that. And he was like, I think that's so cool. You're doing it. Have fun. <clears throat> and then afterwards it was like, how was that? And I was like, it was really good. And it was kind of like conversation over. And it was only in hindsight that I looked back and thought, man, it could have been really cool if I was with someone who was praying for that. You know, he wasn't saying, don't do that. That's terrible. What's so, what's wrong with you? You're so weird. So he wasn't pulling me down, but he also wasn't propelling me forward in my faith. And I think I look back at that situation of, I do want someone who is like, I think that's so cool. You're doing that. And how can I be praying for you in that? Or how can I link arms with you in that? Um, but I think it's, at this point, it feels really one dimensional to preach a message that says like, if you date someone who's not a Christian, you're sinning because I've had enough friends get married to Christian people who, after they get married, one or both of them walks away from the faith. I also have enough friends that have gotten married in our pastors and leaders and churches where one of them wasn't a Christian. 
And so I'm like, I think if you are with someone, you get to choose them and love them without an agenda. So I choose you and love you regardless if you ever come to faith. Because if my agenda is for them ultimately to change, then that's, I have, that's not love. It's manipulation. I know what's is going on a whole other side tangent, but I just think it's so easy to preach from the pulpit. It's very preachable to say, don't, you know, don't think about sex. Don't think about thinking about sex. You will get chlamydia and die. Don't think about dating a guy that's not a Christian. Don't even look at a guy that's not Christian. You will walk away from your faith and go to hell. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's true though. <laughs> Right. And I also think of like, when I think of Christianity, I'm just like, there are Christians out there that don't believe nothing that I believe, like complete opposite of what I believe. So it's also realizing like this equally yoked situation (laughs) is not like based on these labels that we're thinking. Mm. Um, It's deeper than that, right? The Lord is inviting us to something deeper than that. uh, Because yeah, I just, I know too many Christians that I'm just like, yeah, you, I don't, are we the same? Like, do we follow oh the same Jesus? Right. Oh, um, and, but people probably, if I dated that person, they'd be like, oh, it's fine. But if I don't date, I date someone not outside of that, then mm-hmm. it's like, oh no, you're, you're, you're bugging. And I'm like, but I'm bugging for dating that person who thinks yeah. everything I think <laughs> is wrong, you know? Totally. In some way. So it's, yes. it's, yeah, it's, it's deeper than like all these kind of like surfaced messages that are shared, um, which is why as Christians also like our role is to always go back to the Bible, always go back to truth. Uh, I'm not saying people in the pulpit are lying, but there are things that are misinterpreted, um, shared very like surfacey or very um, to, to kind of like brief that it's It actually requires more depth, especially when it comes to relationships and sex. I think everything in relation to conversations like that can't just be a sermon series. It's actually like <laughs> a little bit more in depth. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, the responsibility that it needs to take. And, you know, I think often as long as a person has the label of Christianity slapped on them, we excuse toxic behavior. And it's like, oh, they're a Christian. I need to have grace with them for their porn addiction or their heroin addiction. Oh, they're a Christian, even though she's wildly codependent and narcissistic. So much of the evangelical church thrives on rewarding narcissistic behavior. And I'm tired of it. If there's anything I've learned in the last year plus, I'm like, I I agree with you. I'm like, I think we're reading different Bibles. You don't care about Black Lives Matters. You don't care about social justice. You don't care about the oppression of the vulnerable. We are reading different gospels. So I don't care if you have the sticker of Christianity on you. (laughs) We believe a different gospel. And it's, I think I've been waking up to this idea and I'm like, I feel like I've been gaslit. I feel like I've been gaslit in the church and I've gone on date with dates with guys who, when they found out I didn't vote for Trump and I don't want, I, we don't need to make this political, but I'm like, I, they literally said, check please. And I'm like, vice versa. (laughs) (laughs) But I just, I'm like, it is so much more. It's not just enough for the other person to be a Christian. Do they have integrity? Mm-hmm. What are, how do they treat people differently than them? How do they treat people who believe differently than them, have a different sexual identity and orientation than them, who have a different life experience than them? I just think we've just made dating in the Christian world so one dimensional. And I'm like, this yeah. is why we are not countercultural. Right, right. 
And we make the error to assume what someone thinks because they say they're Christian. Yes. And so mm-hmm. that's where, you know, um, that's where that, that season, especially of dating is, should be so conversational. Uh, you know, when my husband and I were dating, we got engaged. Uh, I was like, Hey, we should stop having sex because <laughs> you know, we're claiming we're Christian, all this stuff. And that was a season of so much talking, so much conversation because mm-hmm. we weren't having sex anymore. And, you know, it was right before getting married and we had known each other for eight years before that, but we learned so many new things about each other and about ourselves. So it's also uh-huh. like, that is a season to be getting to know people and not assume, Oh, you're Christian. I know that you believe this. And I know you believe yeah. that. Don't make that error because then you're going to be like, oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know if you've read the book, The Weight by Devon Franklin and Megan Good. Oh, no, I did. I have a lot of friends who have. It's so good. But they talk about, and it sounds like maybe this was, uh, I don't want to assume this was your experience when you and your husband decided to stop having sex, but they talk about how, um, because she had had, she had had a lot of sex before they started dating. I think he had to, I can't remember a hundred percent, but together in their relationship, they decided to abstain. And they said, they both said that saying no to something really good helped develop within them, uh, a discipline. Like if you can say no to sex, which is a very, very good thing. Not only are you building a discipline in yourself to show yourself in every other area of your life, you can say no to really good things for a greater vision, but also it developed between them a level of trust that was unparalleled because they together had a common vision for something in the future and in the present were able to make sacrifices to support that future vision coming to pass. And so now when you're, you're married, let's say you are in a season where you're feeling disconnected from your partner and you feel less attractive, or you guys haven't had sex in a while. You have this trust between that person because you have before persevered through a hard season together. And that felt so compelling to me. Wow, saying no and waiting develops a muscle of integrity within me that little else rivals. And Devon says multiple times, he's like, if you can have discipline in your sexual life, you're unstoppable in every other area of your life. Wow, amen. I need to read that book. It's so good. Yeah, like, can I be y'all's best friends? Y'all are awesome. That's such a, that's such a real thing. That's such a, um, a, like a thing to really just like digest and acknowledge. Um, cause I, I mean, I didn't really like, you know, see it that way in that season. I thought we were just like being obedient, but realizing how that was actually like a foundational thing for our marriage that helped us in different ways have, has helped us in the past, um, over almost seven years. So yeah, amen to that. Um, our last question, um, uh, is around, act sex again, right? Like what yeah. is sex? What would you say is sex and how um, do you know we are abstaining from it? Cause you know, like you mentioned earlier, there are, there are different forms. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if you, even people, somebody would consider like kissing that, right? So what does that look like? And what is actually abstaining from it looks like? Cause that's what I would say something that the Bible maybe doesn't <laughs> make mm-hmm. very clear. It's not like yeah. this is sex, all these different forms and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has obviously different interpretations from different pastors and people. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? Yeah. So actually I think this question needs to precede the other question. 
So what are my physical boundaries in dating? Before I can figure that out, I need to ask, what is sex? How do I define sex? And I also don't want to make the assumption that everyone that's listening to this who is single is abstaining from sex until marriage. But I do, I think that I do want to encourage people to really sit thoughtfully with what do you believe sex is and where did that belief come from? Was it taught to you by culture? Was it taught to you by church? Was it taught to you by home? What did you learn about sex? And one of the most fascinating set of books that I read in my research, it were by an author, Peggy Orenstein. She's a writer for the New York times. She wrote a book called Girls and Sex, and then another book called Boys and Sex, where for over a decade, she chronicled the lives of teenagers through mid-20s, guys and girls, and interviewed them about their sexual encounters. And one thing that she said is, she said, I want young people to view sex less as a vertical race, climbing a vertical ladder to get to a specific point and view it more as a pool of experiences. And the pool of experiences as being sex is something that a professor, Daniel Fortenberry, uh, prompted. But I read that and I felt like, oh, that's really interesting. So let me kind of simmer on that. Because for me, I don't actually know where I came up with this exact definition, but I always thought sex was penis inside vagina. That's what sex was. And as a Christian, if I was told not to have sex, then as long as the P wasn't in the V, then I was following the rule. So I was doing everything, but I didn't do anal sex, but I did oral sex and hand stuff and nakedness. And I know that the based off statistical research from Peggy Orenstein, people who abstain from sex until marriage are between four and six times more likely to have oral and anal sex than the average person, which I thought was super interesting. They're like, Oh, let me find this loophole. So if sex is just P and the V, um, I never really considered it was anything outside of that. And then I was having a conversation with one of my friends who identifies as gay And he was coming back from a date and I said, how was it? What'd you guys do? He goes, oh, we had sex. It was great. And so I asked him, so what does that mean for you? And he was like, oh, we're just like kissing and touching each other. And so I was like, oh, so it wasn't like actual like penetration. He was like, no, like it's all sex. And I was like, what? That's how you define sex. I mean, it was mind blowing for me. And then I remembered a conversation that I had with one of my best friends years ago who she and her husband waited until marriage to have sex. No guy had ever even seen or touched her boobs until her wedding night. It was her husband. And they got back from their honeymoon and I was chatting with them and they said, you know what, Kat, we realized on our honeymoon, it's all sex. All of it is sexual intimacy and all of it is sex. And I was like, well, don't tell me that because I'm single and I don't want, I'm not trying to abstain from kissing until marriage. So anyways, I had this moment as I was trying to figure out what is sex. Cause I had these really differing people with very different views on God and sexuality telling me a really similar story. And then I'm reading in this book that says sex is more of a pool of experiences. And then I was like, well, let me just go to scripture. Scripture says to flee from sexual immorality and fornication over and over and over again in the new Testament. So I said, what does that mean? 
the Greek word there is porneia, and it means a ton of things. The general definition for porneia is to, is sexual activity outside the marriage bed. What does that mean? It's a little elusive. I wonder why God allowed that definition to be a little elusive. Maybe because we're prone to legalism, maybe because we want the rule and we don't want to do the hard work of seeking God. And so I, I, I was like, so God, what does it mean if I want to abstain? So I thought, okay, so if is sex just penis and vagina, what about oral sex? Is that sex? Is anal sex sex? Where does orgasm have any sort of part to play in sex? What if you identify as LGBTQ plus? Do heterosexual people have monopoly on virginity? What if your partner is impotent? Are you unable to have a flourishing sex life? What if you are one of these 75% of women who cannot climax internally? So let me just say that a different way. Three out of four women can only orgasm through the stimulation of their clitoris. Does that mean you can't have good sex with your partner? These are all questions I want you to think about. And so for me, I really had to sit long and hard with, okay, so how would I define sex? And I really didn't want to answer that question because then I thought, oh, maybe I won't be a virgin anymore which then revealed how much I actually worship virginity and not Jesus. So I'm not going to answer in this conversation what I believe sex to be because I don't want to give someone my formula. I want you to sit with it, sit with all these questions, pause and rewind and re-listen and write them down. What is sex? What is intimacy? How does how do our sexual encounters shape what we believe sex to be? And if we choose to abstain from it, what are we choosing to abstain from? So I I don't, I don't, I, I'm, I know I'm leaving you with more questions than answers in that, but I just feel like I want the person who's listening to this to be willing to pause and actually, instead of taking my soundbite, because if you just take my soundbite and regurgitate it as your truth, then we've just, we're in the same cycle. <laughs> right, right. And I think what you were, like when you started, you were sharing about like how this is like a question actually that goes before the boundaries thing, because mm-hmm. you actually have to determine what sex is for you. And then you actually can implement boundaries, but right. implementing boundaries without actually knowing what it what means to you, right? Not what has been taught mm-hmm. to you and like that, but what it means to you is what helps. Like I, you know, think about when we stopped having sex, um, when we were engaged, we had a conversation on what we think is sex, what we have been doing and what we're going to stop doing. Right. Um, and like, like you, I'm not going to share what that was for us at, is a way to not project what it has to be for other people um, because it has to be something that we explore ourselves. So yeah. that was, yeah, that was really helpful and really good in realizing mm-hmm. that um, it is something that, and it's also, also through prayer, right? Like mm-hmm. don't just let your mind wander, let, allow the Lord um, to really also identify, define that for you. Yeah. Um, and invite community into that yeah. conversation, people that feel safe and trustworthy. And so I think for me, for so many years in my Christian walk, I played a game of mental gymnastics. So I thought sleepovers were sinful. So once I started having sleepovers, I thought, oh, if I tech, I was so riddled with guilt that I would not allow myself to fall asleep. So basically I would have a sleepless night 
and then wake up at about 5 a.m. and go back to my house. Because then if I didn't technically fall asleep and if I didn't technically, if I left before the sun came out, I didn't really have a sleepover. And then I thought, oh, being naked with a guy is definitely a sin. So if my panties stay around my ankle, I haven't sinned. And if the P doesn't actually go inside the V, then I have followed the rule. And I just got exhausted by the mental backflips and gymnastics I was doing. And in that I wasn't owning my decisions. I was constantly guilt-ridden. And now that I'm a place where I'm internally motivated about my why, why I actually am still choosing to abstain until marriage. And then the biblical invitation says to flee. It doesn't say get as close as possible while you can still technically hold on to the value. It says flee, which means to run as far as you can, as fast as you can, as if your life depended on it. And so that's why, oh, I'm like, okay. So I actually feel really excited now about waiting until marriage. That feels something that feels like I'm really internally motivated by. So the question then shifts from what's my physical boundary? What can and can't I do to how can I set myself up for success to stay in alignment with my heart and my values? So then it's like, oh, actually oral sex probably isn't going to work for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Below the belt stuff probably isn't going to work for me. Mm -hmm. Nakedness, definitely not going to work for me. Not because of legalism, but because I want to be my word to myself. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hold my value high because it matters to me. Mm -hmm. I want to have integrity with my word. So instead of being terrified of blowing it, how can I cross the finish line? I mean, I'm 35 years old. I think so much of what I think about is like, I don't want to be three laps of my race done and have one lap done and then sit down. Mm. I want to finish strong. So how can I set myself up for success? And so for me, that's where the conversation shifts from like shame to freedom. It's not like, what can't I do? It's how can I be my word to myself? Yes. How can I live free? Amen. Mm-hmm. Yes, girl. Um, as a side note right now, I know you have, um, Kitty told me you have something at 1215. Oh my gosh, I do. Yes. Whoa, okay. so I'm going to close. No problem. I'm going to close us. Um, you know, yeah. So thank you, Kat. Uh, you know, I feel like y'all, this whole conversation was Kat's testimony. <laughs> so <laughs> encouraged by that. But also I know your book is coming out in April Damn. and that I'm sure includes plenty of your testimonies and your experiences. So make sure y'all get that sex list in the city. It's not easy to forget that title. Yeah. <laughs> so make sure you get yes. that. She has her podcast, The Refined Woman, um, her Instagram, which will all be in the show notes. So make sure y'all follow her. And I just, I, I, I encourage y'all to engage in this conversation, spend some time journaling and praying about all these ideas and thoughts. Go to the scriptures that talk about all these different things um, because the Lord wants to minister you through that. So thank you. Thank you, Kat, for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I am so, so grateful to be here. And yeah, one thing I, so I'm really proud of this. So this is what I want to tell you. Um, I bought the URL for my book. Yes. (laughs) So if you want to learn more about my book, go to sexlessinthecitybook.com. And actually, if you pre-order it, it would be such a blessing to me. And if you do, please DM me at The Refined Woman. And I would love to give you a free journaling guide because a lot of this stuff is deep water stuff. So I created a whole, almost like a, 
a reading guide, discussion guide, journaling to help you go through all these questions. So DM me and I would love to give you that. Um, cause I don't want you going through this stuff alone. Um, you can also sign up for those good goodies on sexlessinthecitybook.com. So yes. And the book is for everyone y'all not just yes. single, married, dating, engage, all the saints pull up. Um, and thank you again so much, Kat. Thank you so much for having me. Hey ladies, I hope that conversation blessed you and you're able to apply a few things that you learned into your everyday life. God is with you and we're so excited that you get to continue to grow in your faith. Make sure you check out other episodes if you haven't already and be sure to hit that subscribe button, leave us a rate and review and make sure to follow us on Instagram at yes and amen podcast. See you next time.